1: Hulu's Pam and Tommy, resurrecting a 1990s tabloid story through a millennial lens. We're here today on Crew Call with executive producers Robert Siegel and DvD Vincenti's, as well as the episodic director and executive producer Craig Gillespie. Okay, how did you know that Lily could play Pam Anderson? How? I, I mean, she's amazing. Well, it's a bit of a leap of faith.
2: Well, I could say from my end, it's like, I was kind of unbelievably intrigued by that idea. It's like I'd known all her work in England and she was kind of, she's kind of known for a lot of period pieces and obviously uh, being British, but it's, so it's a, it's, a, it's a real sort of leap to think of her for Pamela. But I love when you get to see an actor do that, when you get to see him play something pol- like the polar opposite of what we know them for. She, um, she totally
1: De niro
0: it.
2: Yeah. And then it's funny because these guys- uh, they yeah, We knew that we
0: needed somebody to do that. Yeah. But, they, but it's
2: uh, good. It. DV came over to uh, my house. We had our first rehearsal with Sebastian and Lily. And uh, you know we were sort of running some lines and then we like, well, let's go out into the front yard and try that parking lot scene where they come out of the nightclub. And it was the first time we got to see Lily and Sebastian acting together. And I, right there, it was like, wow, the the amount of prep she'd done already for the physical, like, uh, transformation, the dialogue, the dialect she had, the mannerisms. It was a. <laughs> massive exhale i think (laughs) (laughs) to be able to be like wow she's this is going to be amazing the chemistry yeah and
3: and also part of the design of the show is that um you know pam kind of is not there's more to pam than we think than, than meets the eye and so we're sort of subverting expectations that the audience has of of pam you know we think of her as this sort of uh wild trashy bombshell Um, but there's in fact a lot more layers to her. And I think to have an actress who also has this kind of, you didn't see this, you didn't necessarily expect this of her. I think, I think the two kind of, kind of go together really well, as opposed to casting, you know, like Megan Fox or somebody, you know, I think when she was cast, everybody threw out kind of like, well, who's, who's wild. Um, And, and, Pam is a good girl. Like Pam, and Pam is, is, is smart and savvy, and, and there's just many layers to her. And I just felt like um, to subvert expectations with the casting really fits with, with the way Pam subverts expectations, kind of, of, of in, in her own life.
1: What I'm getting to here, because she, she totally, I mean, Sebastian is, is equally amazing. The, the, and, but like Sebastian is Tommy in my mind is a short, possibly a short walk for him. But with Lily, see, here's the thing. I'm used to hearing the stories. I'm, I'm very old fashioned. I'm used to hearing the stories like with, uh, you know, when Milosh Foreman was looking for his Andy Kaufman and there's a wide thing and they're reading people and they're videotaping people. And it is a, and when they settle on the person that's going to play Andy Kaufman, it's, they've made, you know, it's it's all logic. It all makes sense, and the universe aligns. And and nowadays, when I when I quiz people, like, why did you? Oh, this person's amazing. The role. Why did you think? They're all kind of like, well, well, you know, like they just kind of just flippantly decided. And I and with her, I'm thinking, was it the eyes? Because she looks like her. I know she studied up on the part. That's out there. But was it the eyes? Was it like? She's got the eyes and we can build around that in addition to the depth. You mean facially resemblance wise or? Facially yeah. resemblance wise, no. I think, it's, I mean, I mean, it's okay. been a while for since me, I studied Pam Anderson, but for me, she looks exactly like her.
2: I wasn't worried about, I wasn't worried about the, how much she looks like her. For me, what I, it was honestly, it came down to Li, Lily as an actor and her performance. And, and she's so accessible as an actor and that's what we needed. And, I, and it's like, at the end of the day, you needed to be able to connect with her and, and root for her. And in all of her work, she always has that. So the physical transformation, that's, that's all smoke and mirrors. And, and I felt we would, we would get to a place that is close enough, you know, with like what we have with, you know, in our arsenal now. But it's all that vulnerability that she has and that accessibility. And then the intelligence as well, like, you know, in her performance.
1: So Robert and DV, how did this whole, how did everything come together? The Amanda Chicago Lewis Rolling Stone article was written in 2014. Did you guys get access to it? Did Point Gray have it first? How did this uh, how did this wonderful machine start working? The article was optioned by Dylan Sellers, our producer, uh, who brought it
3: to Point Gray, Seth Rogan's company. Point Gray brought it to Annapurna. Who is our? That's um, our studio. And then Annapurna and Sue Nagel um, at Annapurna hired me to write the pilot. I wrote the pilot. I wrote the second episode, and then um, we got green lit. We shopped. We shopped it around. Hulu. Hulu really wanted it bad. We took it to some other places, but we felt like that was the best home for it. Um, and then we uh, staffed up. First hire was. Uh, who's gonna be my um, my co-showrunner. I'd never done television before. So um, they got this guy, uh, DVD. Yeah,
0: they got this
3: guy. <laughs> that guy who um, you know, had a, a lot of experience in television, had just come off uh, OJ, um, where he won an Emmy, and we loved each other, we still do. Um, you know, he wrote the Marsha Clark episode, um, he wrote Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And um, I think there's a lot of, I'll let DV speak to it, but I think there's there's a lot of, I think our show, I, I, I could definitely see the way the two would connect. Um, and that was a big part of it, aside from me, just liking him as a person.
0: Yeah, so- I was drawn to it immediately because, um, <clears throat> and I wasn't really looking to, to come onto something that was already up and running, but uh, when I read the pilot, it resonated. So much with everything that I like to do, which is generally speaking a sort of combination of something fun and frothy on the surface, but that's really about a bunch of stuff underneath, um, like OJ. Um, and uh, this definitely resonated in 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 that way, uh, particularly in the the way that uh, the way that Pam was so undersold, and the way that Rob clearly was onto that case from the beginning.
1: So. You know, this in the early 90s, this story was everywhere. What was it about the 2014 Rolling Stone article? Did it bring new light to anything? Or was it just everything? Yeah,
0: it was, it was, nobody ever knew what happened. And, you know, everybody, including all of us, assumed in the back, back in the day that they leaked the tape because that's what people, that's what everybody did after the tapes. and so you kind of retroactively assigned that as the motive for the, the, the pro of what happened. Um, but in fact, that article shows you, you know, a rather step-by-step um, portrayal of, of, of what really happened um, by Gautier. And it's the first time he'd ever spoken. I imagine it might have been something to do with statutes of limitations. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that was what was so, um, that's what broke the story wide, wide open was that article and all of his detail about it. And the article
3: also really nicely lays out an eight episode limited series. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable (laughs) how well-suited that thing is for, for a limited it's got, it's just got the three acts and the beginning middle end. Um,
1: yeah. And, and then in, in reference to Seth, uh, involvement as well. Yeah. Well, that was, that
0: was known. That was known, but but there was certainly more detail about about how it went down in that article. But it was, you know, Seth workshop, he was already kind of a boogeyman in this story.
1: Now there's something really interesting that the show taps into. Like you said, it, um, you weren't looking to paint Pam in a in a in a, in an ill light in a salacious light. You were looking to show her humanity because she is a good person. Um, but there's something right in the middle that really, that the series hangs its hook on with her. And it's around the time that she's doing the deposition. And she's basically like, so Tommy isn't called for the deposition, but she is. And it's because she's a woman. And I was wondering if you guys could talk about that because that's something that's like a very it's a bias that is brought to light that just takes this from being this, you know, fun kind of 90s ride to, wow, this is something we should really think about. Are you suggesting there's a double standard?
0: Absolutely. I mean, that was why I wanted to get involved in this was because I could see that that there was this, you know, I'd always seen her as being um, sort of under, under you know, uh, Undersold, um, And yeah, it was, it was completely barbaric to see what happened to this person. And frankly, what happens to them after the story in a way, because she's sort of run out of the third, what happens, what happens to them is exactly the same. They're in the same video. And yet one becomes a sort of, one gets a second career as a huge personality and is known for his sort of sexual prowess and his penis size and all that. And the other person is is like kind of run out of the business. You know, Um, it's, you know, and that is uh, the difference between the way they're treated. It definitely extends into the deposition and that Tommy wasn't even deposed. Um, And and they saw a soft target and they saw a way to go after somebody.
2: And and it's kind of shocking to see, just to be able to hold a mirror up and see what what our culture was like back then and the way that women were treated and to see the normalcy on talk shows. And interviews, and that that as a society everybody was okay with, bizarrely. And it's just, just to look back on that period and what it was like um, is is really is really eye opening uh, to what you were saying. I think and, and educational, and uh, it was something too in, in terms of how the media handled it and how we as society, you know again a commentary on like what's going on now as well with media that. Uh, It was something that I thought was interesting. And we did Natanya and and then these guys tapped into it again here, which was that we're, we're complicit. It's like with the the consumption of us and what we're doing and, and and without any regard for the individual. Uh, So you get to come into this show with these expectations that, that we already have these, these opinions that we've already formed and then subvert them and hold a mirror up to ourselves that we came in with all these judgments and with the writing that these guys did, it is a beautiful job of turning by the time you get to that episode of being like, wow, we're really complicit in this. It's like these judgments that these make, the, the, probably the whole purpose of a lot of people start watching the show in the beginning was because they sort of thought they knew what they were getting. And then to be able to turn that and, and shine a mirror on ourselves was uh, exciting.
3: The, the, the show is sort of designed to kind of repeat the process of complicity as you're watching it. The first couple of episodes are just that Craig's episodes are just so incredibly fun. Um, and you get swept up in it and, and you kind of turn your brain off a little bit and then, and then it hits you in retrospect. Oh shit. We, you know, we are, we are a part of the problem.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Craig coming to the project, he, he is uh, wonderful when it comes to, you know, shining a light on tabloid tragic heroes. Craig, how did you come to the project and Deviant Robert? let's Why, Why of course, was he the right guy for this?
0: Well, I can just say right off the top, like, the second we heard that he would be interested in doing it, we were just like, great, done. <laughs> like, you know, it's just absolutely like that's it huge, huge win for us. It was, it was really great, you know, uh, particularly often by of Tanya. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't like, we were, we just felt very lucky to get him.
2: And for me, it's like, it's, it's the writing. And and I, I was lucky that this is a very rare situation where these guys had already written all eight scripts. This was so well flushed out. And the tone is so clear. And the balance and what they were what they were articulating that I, I, I When I'm reading material, if I'm visualizing it and I can see it already, that's more than half the battle. So as soon as this came in, I'm like, yeah, I want to do it. And it's like everything for me was like, just make sure, you know, I don't this and that, but yeah, just make sure I can do Pam and Tommy <laughs> to my reps. Um, so it was, uh, I was incredibly excited about it. It's like I think that just, you know, it's I, the scripts, I don't think they really changed from the point that I came on. It's like, they're already so well dialed in. And, you know, and, and the first three episodes do go through this very playful thing, but even by the end of the third episode, there's that great speech. you know. And D, I think Stevie wrote that one with Jane Fonda where she goes to see her publicist. And you suddenly, it's the first time you're like, wow, there's a lot going on that we're about to be introduced to with this character.
1: Have, have any of you heard from Pam or Tommy, you know, after this show has aired? And, and it, like, have you heard anything like they liked it there or they were kind of, you know. Uh...
3: Nothing from the Pam side. Um, Sebastian, Sebastian has kind of struck up something of a friendship with Tommy. I know they've hung out a couple of times. Um, they met once before the show while we were shooting. They kind of connected. I
0: think um, They connected, but they didn't actually meet.
3: Yeah. Right? And, yeah. They were supposed to, but they didn't. It was no, really like
2: for the first time like last month.
3: Yeah. So I guess he's, I guess he's okay with it. Um,
1: you know, he's, I, I don't know if he's seen the show. I'm, yeah, I don't know. And Craig, coming, coming back, talk more about the echo here with, with I, Tanya. Is it, is it basically, Kind of like the, the early 90s tabloid machine and just how it reacts, you know, it can it can react.
2: I mean, I I think the echo there is that it is just this sort of the way that the media takes these lives and consumes them and then and turns churns through them and moves on. But us as a society, how we like devour that and without any regard for you know the individual, and we form these judgments and these opinions about people and what it is and that's and then that and then and then move on and you you, it's like it's to be able to hold you know that mirror up and show that these individuals it impacts them in a very dramatic way um and the the you know that we're going about our lives and not with no regard for that i think it's a commentary a lot on what's happening all the time now like with social media but this was the beginning of it and, you know, with Tanya Harding, that was the case and everybody formed their opinions to the point that she became a national joke. And the same with this, it's, a, it just, it took over, it was the beginning of the internet and it it took over, you know, the dialogue in our society at the time. And it was everywhere. And, and it was, you know, it was, it was very like it shallow in, in, in the way that it was approached and callous and, uh, to be able to look back on that and and see how we, we behaved and how we used to behave and how it's changed or hasn't changed, I thought it was really
0: valuable. Yeah. Also, I, I just to add to that, I I I think that the show, um, you know, really also shows how much things haven't changed. Um, you know, it's so funny, like when we watched when we were going. Craig mentioned this earlier when we were going back and looking at uh, appearances, um, of Pam's on talk shows, uh, and not just Pam's other women, uh, from that time, it's like, it's, it's so foul. It's so nasty. the, the way they're spoken to, the way they're leered at the way they're sort of like, it's just, it's just really gross. And, you know, it's, a, it's been a very gradual process away from that, but it's still, it's still there, you know, you know, you, like it's, it's just more underground um but yeah db and
1: robert how long did it take to write you were saying the article was like a perfect a perfect template for eight episodes (laughs)
0: uh
3: we had a four month was a four months four month writer's room for four or five months yeah um where we all gathered in a beautiful gazebo on the annapurna campus um and uh and Mapped out, uh, mapped out the whole thing, you know, the not really done anymore post COVID, but this was sort of our last pre COVID hurrah with the with the index cards and the dry erase board and sitting around wasting an hour before getting down to work. Um, and then um, and then we assigned the episodes. Um, it was myself, DV, uh, Sarah Gubbins, um, and a writing team, uh, Matt Bass and Teddy Bressman. That was the, the the writing group, and also Brooke Baker. And We also
0: we had a, a, a writers assistant, Brooke Baker, was such became such an in, like an integral part of the conversation we were having that we we elevated her to, to write a script as well.
3: Yeah, she's terrific. Um, and uh, and then we assigned episodes, and then and then wrote them. Um, the wonderful thing was that once we wrote them, we were originally going to shoot. We were originally gonna shoot just a few months after the writers room broke, um, ended and, uh, and then COVID hit and everything kind of got put on pause. And we had like this 12, I wanna say almost 12 month period where we just put the thing down, were able to step away from it, come back to it with fresh eyes and then have all this time to, to refine it and fix it and rewrite. <laughs> so, so the year after the writers room we got this gift, I, I COVID, you know, it's one of the few um, nice things about COVID was uh, for us, it gave us a chance to rewrite the thing. And looking back, if we had shot it, I mean, it changed so much just because we just simply had more opportunity. It went from being one of those classic TV, come on, hurry up, hurry up, write it, we gotta shoot it, to like something we could actually do the, the quote unquote right way, which is like have the time to to rewrite it until we felt like we got it right. Um, so that was that was kind of a you know a blessing in disguise of COVID for us.
1: What was one of the big seismic changes? Because it ends on a very interesting note, and I and I I, I like the ending very much. But I was curious if there were other endings um, mm-hmm. that you were toying with.
3: Um, no, the ending was always what I don't think the ending changed. I mean, it was a lot of what I'm talking about is just a ton of fine tuning and you know. Um, within episodes, yeah. um, no. The ending was always, you know, it's a tricky. It was kind of a tricky ending, tricky landing to stick, um, because, you know, it's it's one of those. And <coughs> three of us, the three of us are all. I would say myself, uh, DV and Craig are all attracted to stories that end on in real life something really depressing and hor- de- dark happening, and and you don't want to. You don't want to.
2: Um,
3: that ain't
0: no way to end a show.
3: <laughs> want, yeah, it, I like everything, everything.
0: The
2: graduate ending.
3: Every single <laughs> thing I write, and I think it's probably true of a lot of a lot of their work too, is like, oh, on paper that's really depressing. Um, how do we find a way to not sell it out, but not leave the audience feeling like they themselves are uh, depressed? So you do that. You do that little dark, you know, the little dark twist. Um, where there's usually humor is the thing that cuts through the you know the bleakness Um, so for this yeah I mean you had this ended in a uh, on paper they were divorced you know they broke up Um, they lost the rights to their tape Um, it was seen around the world I mean no no real good came of it so how do you how do you leave with that bittersweet you know half smile. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Also like the thing we really wanted to, we really wanted to to show with the end um, or, or imply, is that you can't break this woman. (laughs) She's too strong and she is going to continue on and, and, and uh, not stop. Um, And it's exactly what happened, you know. We, she's a per, she's sort of this pervasive, strong person that never stops. I mean, even the, you know, when she goes on <clears throat> these shows, the talk shows, um, you know, she knows what they're going to do. She knows that they're going to they're going to you know uh, make lewd comments about her, etc. But she goes through it anyway because she gets to talk about the things that are really important to her, like um, animal rights. Um, she, you can you watch any of the, her appearances on a talk show. That's exactly what happens. You watch her nod through it and be a good sport while somebody says dumb shit to her. And then she gets her chance to take, have a national platform for her what she cares about. Um, that's the kind of like, that, that's crazy. That's so strong. Um, and yeah, we wanted to show, we wanted to give the impression that she goes off and, and is going to be okay.
1: Craig, Robert, DV, Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Man. Thank you. It was
2: a
1: pleasure. Before we go, what are what are each of you working on? Uh,
3: I'm currently uh, doing a project about Chippendales, um, the Chippendales murders, with uh, Kamal Nanjani and Murray Bartlett um, and a bunch of other great people, which is uh, we're we're shooting right now.
2: And um, and I'm uh, working on doing the uh, film about GameStop this summer, which was the GameStop a uh, stock that happened last year, which is kind of a, a wild and crazy story. Is it a movie? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it, follows, uh, it follows our lead, uh, Roaring Kitty, as well as all the Robin Hood guys and the Melvin Capital guys. And it's kind of a, a big mishmash of all these complicit characters.
0: And D.V.? I'm just uh, trying to build this back porch over here. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm writing, a, I, I, I've just started writing a, a feature for uh, Netflix that we're kind of trying to get up on its feet and made ASAP about um, uh, Jimmy and AJ Galante, their father and son. Uh, Jimmy Galante was a, uh, a sort of mob affiliated garbage titan in uh, Connecticut who uh Loved his uh, high school senior son so much that he bought him a minor league hockey team to manage and own um, called The Trashers. And it's about what happens when uh, somebody is uh, only in love with um, the harshest parts of hockey and how it kind of brings this, this town uh, to its feet. There's an
3: incredible <laughs> it's, documentary about it. it. Yeah.
0: It's a great documentary also on Netflix called Crimes and Penalties. Um, So I'm doing that. I also am doing an animated show at FX um, that's sort of in the world of the Grateful Dead, but it's about um, the uh, transportive powers of psychedelics.
1: Craig, Robert and DV, thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony De’Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.